As I mentioned to you last week that there was something intriguing about verse 35 in our study of Mark, and I said I don't have time to look at that passage last week, and I wanted to come back around to it uh, this morning and talk about prayer. I think at one point or another, every Christian struggles with prayer. Uh, What is the point of prayer? What are we doing in prayer? Why should I pray? Why do we pray in worship? Why do we have an opening and closing prayer, by the way, and all that? Uh, Prayer is is frequently a challenge. It is not something that is natural. It is something that you see even the disciples of Jesus saying, teach us to pray. Uh, Because it, it needs some kind of assistance in understanding, well, What exactly am I doing? What are we supposed to do in that? And if you've grown up in the pews, you have probably had a number of lessons telling you how you ought to pray, right? And and then you might even have some acronyms. You know, if you just use ACTS, that'll be your thing to remember or some other mnemonic device that will help you along the way. And uh, maybe those have been useful to you. I hope so. For me, they haven't. And so I'm approaching this text from another angle and trying to look at what Jesus is doing in this passage and trying to understand exactly what we can learn as to regards of what Jesus is doing. It is particularly eye-catching that we have this in Mark's uh, gospel. When you think about all the amazing authority that we looked at last week, that the theme of these couple of chapters is for the audience to hear about the authority of Jesus. He's casting out demons. He is healing people. He is helping the sick. He is doing all of these mighty works. And in the middle of talking about those things, you have here in verse 35, and arising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And what's even more eye-catching about that is the other two Gospels, when they are using this text, don't include that and do not speak about Jesus praying at this moment. And so Mark is shining a light right here at the moment and said, I want you to see something about Jesus in the midst of all that's going on. Especially when we remember the context of what is taking place here. I want you to consider how busy of a day this has been so far. Remember, we could go all the way back to verse 16. Jesus is walking beside the sea. He calls Simon, who we now will know later on to be Peter. He calls Simon and Andrew, then calls James and John, says, follow me. They follow him. They go to Capernaum. And then it's on the Sabbath that they're in the Sabbath. And here is, is Jesus teaching with authority and everybody's astounded. And while Jesus is teaching authority, everybody's astounded. Here we have this unclean spirit crying out. We know who you are. You're, you're the Holy One of God. And then Jesus casts out that unclean spirit. Verse 28 says, His fame at once spread throughout all the region of Galilee. But verse 29 says they leave the synagogue and they go to Simon's mother-in-law and then they go and heal her and the fever leaves her. So that verse 32, by the time we get to the end of this day, all who were sick or all who were oppressed are being brought to Jesus. Verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons and wouldn't permit the demons to speak. We're going to get to the next day, which is where we're in context of verse 35, and the whole city is going to be looking for him. 
And I want you just to see how busy of a day Jesus has right here that Mark's records. We have our disciples, we're in the synagogue, we're teaching, we're healing, we're dealing with the fever, we're healing demons, casting out demons, healing sicknesses. The whole city is coming to Him. And the first thing that is given to us then in verse 35 is Jesus wakes up while it is really early, before the sun has even risen. And He goes out to a desolate place, and there He's praying. And that's eye-catching to me. As I think if it were me, I would have said, yesterday was a really busy day. Guys, we're taking a day off. You know, I mean, we healed all kinds of people. We cast out unclean spirits. You know, I have done more for Israel than has ever happened in Israel in all of its history in one single day. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go, you know, it's time for me to have a me day. You know, I need to sleep in and rest. Yesterday really was brutal. And I'm really tired. None of those kinds of things like I would think about in terms of work. You know, he's just been doing all these things and I need some alone time with me. It's not what he does. He wakes up early in the morning and what you are seeing with Jesus as busy as he is. And as much as He is doing for the kingdom of God and proclaiming the message and showing the power of the kingdom of God by healing diseases and healing the sick and casting out unclean spirits, here is Jesus early in the morning and He goes out to a desolate place and He spends time in prayer. That He wasn't too busy to pray. In fact, I believe what Jesus is showing us is that busyness is the reason to pray. As all of this is ramping up and all of this is going on, it is critical in the mind of Jesus to begin the day in prayer. For all that is going on and all the work that He is doing and all the success that is surrounding Him and all the people that are looking for Him, what Jesus does is He uses this critical time to pray. And what you see with Jesus is that prayer is pictured as a critical component of the ministry of Jesus. It is central to his life. And that should be highly notable to us when you think about who Jesus is. That this is the Son of God. That this is the Divine One. This is God Himself on the earth. And in all that He's doing and all the busyness and success and need for teaching and works that He is doing, here is Jesus setting aside a critical time that He prays. And I think this is particularly valuable because I believe one of the reasons why we can struggle in prayer is because I believe sometimes our primary perspective of prayer is that it is when we need something from God. We pray when I need something from God. I've got a problem. I need to go ahead and talk to God. When things are good, okay, I don't need to talk to God. Things are rolling today. You know, it's all good. And I want us to see that that's not the way Jesus does this. When we look at the prayer life of Jesus, we do not see Him entering prayer only in a time of crisis. 
or only in a time of I need something from the Father, so therefore I'm going to ask Him because I need something personal right now. What I want you to see is that it's not about getting things from God. But what we are going to observe in our lesson this morning that Jesus is putting forward from the very beginning of His ministry is that we are seeing Jesus using prayer as a way to get closer to God. That prayer is the means by which we draw near to God. That we come closer to Him. Not just simply looking at prayer as I have a problem for God to solve. Listen to the picture that Isaiah gives about the centrality of what prayer is supposed to look like. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Here Isaiah makes the prophecy about Israel. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted, like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. I want you to see a couple of pictures here. Notice how verse 6 talks about, here we are in the filthiness of sin. We are plagued by sin such that even our righteous deeds would be counted like filthy rags. That's how sinful Israel is. But then notice what verse 7 says. There is no one who calls upon your name. Now notice the parallel declaration with that. Who rouses himself to take hold of you. Notice that Isaiah has a picture of calling on the name of the Lord is the idea of rousing yourself up and taking hold of God. Of making Him central to your life. Of drawing closer to Him. This is the picture that Isaiah looks out and he says, Nobody does that. We're so full of sins. We don't take hold of God. No one calls upon you. Draws close to you. Grabs onto you for who you are. And notice verse 8 then really drives that when he says, So here's my prayer. You are the Father. We are the clay, you're the potter, and we're the work of your hands. Notice again that drawing in, just drawing into God. It's not a list of now here's all the things that I need today. It is here's who you are and here's who I am. And because of that, I need to draw close to you and I need to take hold of you. I need to have you as the central focus of my life. This is really a a beautiful picture that if we would think of prayer not just simply as problem solving, but to think of prayer as the way that we take hold of God, the means by which we are accessing God, that we are grabbing hold of Him. Because this is how God has pictured what His people look like. It is a distinguishing mark of the people of God. That they use prayer as the means by which they draw near to God and come close to Him. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 7 gives us this picture. 
Here is Moses saying, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? Notice prayer is seen as the vehicle of nearness. We have a God who is right there, who is so near to us that we can just call upon Him because He's right there. That's the idea that's being painted. Is that prayer is assuming this priority of God as the center of the life. That prayer is a picture of how we depend upon God, come to know God, how we rely upon Him, and how we draw near to Him. I think... um, I think most people, when you talk about your inner self, if you will, kind of who you are on on the inside, how often our inner lives are based upon outward circumstances. You think about how often that is. I am depressed because, and it's usually the rest of that answer is because of some external Circumstance. I am very pleased and satisfied or happy because of some external circumstance. I am angry or anxious or relieved because of an external outward circumstance. It's usually how we define what is going on inside of us is based upon the external things. I think even when we do that in casual conversation, how are you doing? The answer usually is I'm fine because well I didn't get in a car wreck on the way here and I'm, all the lights were pretty much green and it was you know there, it's it's external circumstances as the basis by which I feel okay today and I want us to consider there's a, a shift that when it comes to being a follower of God that it's not the external circumstances that dictate the inner life. That dictates who we are. You think about our society today. Where do they try to find inner peace? Where does the average person try to find that inner calm, inner peace? Well, it's in my job. It's in my social status. It's in what people think about me. It's in my prosperity. It's in my performance. It's in my reputation. It's usually something out like that. This is what will be calming to me. Why I can have peace is because of these certain things about the way other people think about me or the way other people treat me. And I want you to see something different in the life of Jesus is that what you see in Him is that prayer is the distinguishing mark for the inner life that causes Him to have this constant connection with the Father. And that's what dictates how He lives. I mean, when you read the life of Jesus, do you read anything that is calm in his life? You know, there was this really easy day and Jesus, you know, just was laying in a hammock and just, you know, chilling by the side of the Sea of Galilee and watching the 12 fish. You guys just take it easy and I'm just going to bask here in the sun and work on my tan. I mean, you don't see Jesus ever functioning that way. It is either always working and always being opposed always being rejected, always being run out, trying to be killed, up to the point that He is then allowing His life to be killed. 
And what you're seeing in him is not the outward circumstances affecting who he is. Well, where does that come from? And I think it's fascinating that Mark, right out of the gate, and describing to us who this Jesus is and wants to put forward to us this authority of Jesus. Here's who He is. He is the Holy One of God. He is the one prophesied by Isaiah. He is the one who's come to rescue. But in the midst of all that, here is this picture of prayer. That we would see prayer and its primary function and primary goal as a close, constant communication with God. Because that's what He's doing. He's God. What does he exactly need? But what he's doing is staying in connection. He's drawing near to God. He's taking hold of God. This is the picture that I think we have in regards to prayer is that prayer is the taking hold of this deep relationship with God so that we will desire to have him. Prayer is the means by which we do that. To say that another way, prayer becomes central to our lives because what we want is for God to be with us in everything. Not just simply when things go bad or because I need a solution to my problem. But no matter what the day is, no matter where I'm at, and no matter what's going on, I want God there. And I am going to draw close to Him and I'm going to take hold of Him and have Him in the center of my life all throughout that day. That's what prayer does. This idea has helped me try to understand when Paul says, I want you to pray without ceasing. Well, I don't need something every second. How am I supposed to pray without ceasing? I'm good right now. He says, don't think of prayer in terms of what I get as God giving me something like He's the vending machine and prayer is the way you hit the button. So often we look at prayer like that. But prayer is just constant connection. That's why you would pray without ceasing is you want to take hold of God today. You want Him to be central to your life today. So that you are not blown away by the difficulties of life and all the outward circumstances that do push us around and cause us to be depressed or anxious or angry or happy or sad or whatever it is. That taking hold of God is the anchor to get through that kind of mess that happens in our lives. I think this becomes particularly valuable when we put this in its context of what Mark is doing right here. It is particularly interesting if you'll notice in verse 35... Again, it says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and and there he prayed. Now, we could do a lesson on notice he got some time by himself. You've heard that message, I'm sure, many, many times. I won't go there. There it is. You've heard it. He, He goes by himself to pray. That's not really the idea, though, of what's happening right here. Uh, This word of desolate place or solitary place is actually the same word that's used for wilderness that we've seen throughout chapter 1. That here is Jesus going out into the wilderness to pray. When we read about John the baptizer, the voice in the wilderness, same word. And we see Jesus in the temptation scene. He's in the wilderness and he is conquering Satan in the wilderness. Now here Mark uses this image again. And he comes back around and says, now I want you to see what Jesus did. He arose early in the morning and he went out into the wilderness and that's where he prayed. 
And so if you've been following, especially on Sunday night, all of our work in Exodus and now Numbers, which is the In the Wilderness book, you might be catching some of the symbolism that is laying out here. One of the big pictures of what the wilderness is about is in a place of testing. In the Old Testament, when we have Israel at Mount Sinai and they're about to leave Mount Sinai and go to the promised land, they must go through the wilderness. And the book of Deuteronomy is going to say that was to test you. That was to prepare you that the wilderness is a place of testing. And so often that's the image that would be used. We've talked about in our lessons already the idea of that's where we are at as we are on the way to the heavenly promised land. That what we are doing is going through the time of testing. There will be temptations along the way. But there's another aspect about the wilderness. That John, when he proclaims the wilderness and is staying in the wilderness, it's not just simply the place of testing. But it is also the place of restoration and hope. Why is John in the wilderness? What's he telling everybody? Kingdom's near. The kingdom's near. You need to repent because the kingdom's near. And if you think about the Old Testament with Israel, yes, the wilderness was a time of testing, but what's positive about it? We're going to the promised land. There's hope that is built within the wilderness as well. And Jesus, when He is in the wilderness, what does He do? But He is successful in defeating Satan and the temptations in the wilderness. It is a picture of hope as well. Taking those ideas, what is happening right here? What did we just see taking place with Jesus? Here in this day, super busy day, going into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and He begins to teach to all of them. And they are astounded at His authority. And there is an unclean spirit that is screaming out, We know who you are. You come to destroy us. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus casts out that unclean spirit so that everybody in the city is like, Wow, who is this who teaches with authority? It just goes throughout the whole city and the whole region. And then Jesus goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house, heals her of the fever, and everybody finds out that he's there at the house, and they bring all of their sick, and they bring all of these people who have demons and unclean spirits, and he's casting out these unclean spirits, and he is healing these people who are sick, and he's casting out these diseases. It is an overwhelming, successful day. When are you the most tempted to walk away from God? When are you the most tempted to lose contact with God? I submit to you the easiest times we do that is when we are doing well. When things are going very well. Work is good. Family's good. Bank account's good. Cars are running. House looks nice. Everything is going according to plan, which, as you know, is the worst thing you could ever think on your mind, right? You're always like, oh, by the way, right? Everything's good. <laughs> when are the times that we walk away from God and we forget God? When we don't keep our constant contact with God? I submit to you, it's success. When things are going good, 
things turn sideways. Oh, where's God? We, you know, bad. We, we're running. Okay, help, help, help. And then as things turn good, we go, oh, never mind, Lord, we got it. <laughs> we do that. Success is so often a test. Will you still rely upon God and depend upon God when you are in the time of blessing, when you're in the time of success, when you are in the time of wealth, when you're in the time of prosperity? Do you depend upon God then? Or is He only the God of crisis? That's when we pray. Oh, I need prayer because things have gone bad. Well, what about when things were good? How was your prayer life then? This is a great measure to know if we perceive prayer as merely a solution to problems in life or if we perceive God as one that we desire a deep relationship with and prayer is the means by which we take hold of Him. This is what you're seeing Jesus do in this moment is in the midst of extreme success. Where in the next couple of verses, Peter's going to come to them and say, don't you know that everybody's looking for you? We're about to have practically a parade back in the city and you're out here in the wilderness. What are you doing? Get in there. And Jesus will not allow success to move him away from constant contact with the Father. Jesus is showing us That when times are good, that is not the time to move away from God. That it is important that we would never allow our lives to run without God as the center. If you're like me, man, that's the easiest thing to do. It is so easy that with success comes busyness. And therefore, I don't need God because I am successfully busy right now. But when things go bad, uh oh, where's God? Success is the danger, success is the warning. And success is being pictured to us here in regards to Jesus in the midst of all this work and in the midst of having great success. Here is Jesus stepping away from all of that and showing that prayer is critical. Jesus warned us how wealth can steal our hearts away from God. Success and prosperity, it steals our hearts away from God. You know that phrase well. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do you say that? Probably so we can come up with some weird ways how we can figure out how camels can go through needles. That's one of the things that we've done, which are totally inaccurate, by the way, if I can make an aside. Camels do not bend on their knees and go through gates. That is totally uh, a way for Americans to try to justify all our wealth. <laughs> uh, there's a warning that's being told to us. Wealth steals your heart away from God. Watch out for success. You are being tested. When things are going well, you and I are being tested. When things are going smoothly, you and I are being tested. We have to watch out for the success that we enjoy, the blessings that we enjoy, the wealth that we enjoy. And what you see in Jesus is after a day of success, where does He go? Prayer. 
He arises early in the morning. He goes to the wilderness, the place of testing, the place of hope, and the place of renewed fellowship and prays to the Father. And in the midst of this, you are seeing God will stay at the center of the life of Jesus throughout all of his success, throughout all of his teachings, throughout all of his temptations, throughout all of his trials. Everything you see in the life of Jesus is God stays center and prayer is the vehicle that accomplishes that. All right, so let's talk about how we can get to this idea of having this life of prayer. Three things I want us to think about of how we can move to this picture of how we can have the same kind of prayer life. I want to begin with number one with just simply perspective. That we need to understand the goal of prayer. That the goal of prayer is a real personal connection with God. That prayer is the means by which that we take hold of God and that we draw closer to Him. Please stop thinking of prayer as something that we do when we need something. That's often what we do. Now, prayer is there when we need something. That's not the example of Scripture. Rather, what we see is that this is the means of how we can get closer to Him. God invites us. To come near to Him over and over again. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. What is the primary tool that God has given us for us to draw near to Him? Prayer. Prayer is the tool for us that we can draw closer to Him. This is what prayer and worship is all about, if I can make that point, because one of our themes this year is about being purposeful, called, why we're here, what we're doing. We talked about the collection a couple of months ago. I want to talk about prayer today. Now, why do we do that? Is it because you can't have worship without an opening and a closing prayer? Not in the slightest. But what we are trying to do as we begin and end worship is that we are drawing our lives to the center of God. We're drawing closer to Him and we're putting our minds right there where they need to be because we get caught in the busyness and success. Here we are and it was, it was you know, a difficult morning getting out of the house. We about burnt the house down. There was a flat tire and we had to change the tire in the driveway. We ended up 10 minutes late because the kid threw up in the car seat. And here we are. We're supposed to start thinking about, God, I need a chance to recenter after all it took to get here. <laughs> we need that. We're putting God back at center again. And when we leave, what are we doing? Let's get our minds back on center as we go out. That's the whole point is drawing near to Him and centering our lives on Him. That's how we take hold of Him. That's why we do it. It's not because you can go somewhere in the Bible and say, you must have two prayers or your worship is not accepted by God. But that there's purpose to it. To get ourselves reoriented away from worldliness and to put ourselves centered on God I believe, at least for myself, prayer life clearly suffers if I think about prayer as simply solutions to problems. Prayer life suffers. Because I only use it when it seems like I need something. And I do not see God as a relationship that I desire. You put that in a parental relationship. How good of a relationship do you have with your children if your children only talk to you when they need something? That looks pretty bad. I don't say a word, but as soon as it's time for dinner, 
Okay, well now we'll talk to you. They need something. It's not the kind of relationship that God desires with us. Second, I want us to see prayer then is given to us as a help to keep us from life's dangers and pitfalls. Why is Jesus praying here at this moment? Things are going beautifully. So he doesn't fall into the danger of what success can do. To lose sight of the mission. To no longer be pleasing to the Father. This is a time to recenter upon God. And to see then that prayer should not be looked upon as a burden. I think for most of my youth and a lot of my early Christian life, I looked at prayer as a burden. You know, I'd, okay, you're supposed to pray. Oh, okay. What do I pray? I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost. And to just flip the perspective around, prayer is not a burden. It's the, the, the life ring. For the things that you're going to go through in the day and the difficulties that you're going to have and all the success you face that day or all the trials you face that day or the temptations you face that day or all the suffering and difficulty, whatever it is, it's the life ring to keep you going the right direction and not fall in the pit. That's what prayer does. Going into work today, Lord, I've got this terrible boss who's very unkind and very immoral and I've got all these workers who do these terrible things. Lord, help me to stay focused on You with my mind clean and pure and to do the things that reflect Your glory as I go through this day. Lord, I'm about to leave work and I know it's going to be bumper-to-bumper traffic and people are mean and obnoxious And I need to make sure that I stay calm and not be mean and obnoxious back. (laughs) Help me, Lord, to stay centered on you. You see, prayer becomes the life ring for serving God and drawing closer to God, not just simply solutions to life's problems. So how can we pray like this? This has, I think, been a very useful solution to me. And if you have things that have been working for you, I'm not at all telling you that what you're doing is wrong and do what I'm telling you to do. But if you're like me and prayer has been a long struggle, here's something that has helped me that I think we see in the Scriptures as well. One of the easiest things that we can do is immerse ourselves in the language of the Scriptures and to pray the Scriptures. Here is the picture is the scriptures are given to us so that we can know God. In essence, what is happening in this book is God is talking to you. He's teaching you. He is speaking to you and telling you about your life, what you should do and not do and what is right, what is wrong. Transform yourself this way. Go this path. This is God speaking to you. And how do you respond to God? Prayer. I have found that to be so extremely valuable is that I have read something that the Lord has said and I use that as the catalyst to my prayer. Lord, you said that this is who you are and the character you have. I'm going to pray about that because that is awesome. And I need that in my life and I want to get to know that more. Lord, you made this promise to your people that you do this in times of crisis. I need that right now. Lord, you said that you would bless your people in these times. Lord, you said that there is a a promise of eternity. Lord, you said here that these are great ways for us to jumpstart our prayer life. 
Because what you can do is pray about what you've just learned about God, what God has promised to the whole earth or promised to Christians. You can pray about what you've read that he's done. You can pray about what his will is. If you're here on Wednesday night, have you noticed that's how I pray every Wednesday night prayer? As I do that, whatever we just learned, I go, Lord, that's amazing. I can't believe we just learned that about you. And that changes us because of this. And I want us to be more like that because you said this. That makes for me prayer so much easier than trying to think about, okay, A, C, T, okay, what does A stand for? What should I pray? I, I, I forget. I mean, I literally cannot tell you what those stand for. I'm terrible about that. But think of prayer as a means of talking to God. And God has already spoken to you. And you're just talking back in prayer. Read a verse, read a paragraph, meditate on the word of God and talk to him in those things. Pray responsively to God and I believe it'll change everything. Prayer is not a crisis line. It's a means of drawing closer to God. Prayer is a means of help to get you through whatever your day has And use the scriptures as your communication tool to draw closer to God in that way. We're going to sing invitation song now. And we invite you to draw near to Jesus, to come near to him with all of your heart, to serve him faithfully and love him. And how amazing it is that Deuteronomy says, what other God is there who comes near to a people like he does and says, I'm close to you. I'm near you. Now, will you come to me? Will you draw near to me? Will you love me for who I am? And give your life to me. And Jesus came and did that for us as he gave his life for us so that we could be saved from our sins. And we call upon you to turn away from your sins. and Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be a child of his and live faithfully for him. You respond to that invitation. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?